Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, The Book of Philemon, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, my computer motherboard arrived earlier this week. I have been busy with other things like replacing an air conditioning unit through the wall. As a result, it has been a very busy week. I am looking forward to reassembling my main computer and getting it back online this coming week. I look forward to working this podcast on two computers again. Thank you all for your patience. May God bless you all. Last week, we concluded our three-part examination of Titus, titled, Titus, Task on Crete, Part 3, posted on October 16th. It was found in the two opening verses the following, For there are many rebellious people, idle talkers, and deceivers, especially those with Jewish connections, who must be silenced because they mislead whole families by teaching for dishonest gain what ought not to be taught. Really? Who must be silenced? Barnes' New Testament notes told us further about silencing someone or stopping them from talking ill. The word here rendered stopped occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. It means properly to check or curb as with a bridle, to restrain or bridle in, and then to put to silence. It is, of course, implied here that this was to be done in a proper way and in accordance with the spirit of the gospel. The apostle gives no civil power to do it, nor does he direct him to call in the aid of the civil arm. All the agency which he specifies as proper for this is that of argument and exhortation. We also learned and found that, with respect to today's reasoning, this could be interpreted as a textual conflict when people read that as an alternative way of saying people need to be killed. We found that this is not at all what Scripture was telling us. We also learned from the main focus of this study that not a couple of Jews of the day or a few Jews of the day, but many Jews of the day were on the island of Crete. It is nowhere stated that they alone were the voice of unruliness, vain talk, and or deceivers. Nonetheless, the voices of unruliness, vain talk, and or deceivers was present. This is what we examined since we can find many places today where the voices of unruliness, vain talk, and or deceivers is also present. To find out more, 
listen to our previous episode titled, Titus, Task on Crete, Part 3. Welcome to our examination of the book of Philemon, another very short book in the New Testament. I personally have never heard any examinations of this book and no cross-references ever taken from this book, which begs the question, why? Again, another book of the New Testament that was written by Paul to Philemon, as Paul also wrote Titus. The problem is, who is Philemon? I should also note that slavery is mentioned in the supporting text. Again, it is important to learn from such history so we today understand why slavery is a bad thing. Please note that slavery is most common in two-tier societies, meaning a society with only an upper class and a lower class of which formed the enslaved people we read about in our Bibles. With that said, some recorded comments acquaint us better with Philemon. Of Philemon, to whom this epistle was addressed, almost nothing more is known than can be ascertained from the epistle itself. It is short, and of a private character, but it is a bright and beautiful gem in the volume of inspiration. From Colossians chapter 4 verse 9, it may be inferred that the person to whom it was addressed was an inhabitant of Coloss, since Onesimus, concerning whom this epistle was written, is there mentioned as, quote, one of them, end quote. He is said by Calmet and Michaelis to have been wealthy, but this cannot be determined with certainty, though it is not improbable. The only circumstances which seem to indicate this are that Onesimus had been his, quote, servant, end quote, from which it has been inferred that he was an owner of slaves and that he appears to have been accustomed to show hospitality to strangers or, as Michaelis expresses it, quote, traveling Christians, end quote. But these circumstances are not sufficient to determine that he was a man of property. There is no evidence, as we shall see, that he was a slaveholder, and Christians in moderate circumstances were accustomed to show hospitality to their brethren. Besides, it is not said in Philemon that he was accustomed to show general hospitality. But Paul, merely asks him to provide for him a lodging. It is probable that he had been accustomed to remain with him when he was in Coloss. It is quite clear that he had been converted under the ministry of the apostle himself. This appears from what is said in Philemon verse 19. Quote, I do not say to you how you owe unto me even your own self. End quote. This cannot be understood otherwise than as implying that he had been converted under his preaching unless the apostle, on some former occasion, had been the means of saving his life, of which there is no evidence. 
Indeed, it is manifest from the general tone of the epistle that Philemon had been converted by the labors of the author. It is just such a letter as it would be natural and proper to write on such a supposition. It is not one which the apostle would have been likely to write to anyone who did not sustain such a relation to him. But where and when he was converted is unknown. It is possible that Paul may have met with him in Ephesus, but it is much more probable that he had himself been at Coloss, and that Philemon was one of his converts there. It is evident from the epistle that Paul regarded him as a sincere Christian, as a man of strict integrity, as one who could be depended on to do right. Thus, in Philemon, verses 5 through 7, he says that he had heard of his, quote, love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, end quote. Thus, he confidently asked him to provide for him a lodging when he should come, and thus he expresses the assured belief that he would do what was right towards one who had been his servant, who, having been formerly unfaithful, was now converted and, in the estimation of the apostle, was worthy of the confidence and affection of his former master. In regard to his rank in the Christian church, nothing whatever is known. Paul calls him his, quote, fellow laborer, end quote. But this appellation is so general that it determines nothing in regard to the manner in which he cooperated with him in promoting religion. It is a term which might be applied to any active Christian, whether a preacher, an elder, a deacon, or a private member of the church. It would seem clear, however, that he was not a traveling preacher, for he had a home in Coloss, and the presumption is that he was an active and benevolent member of the church who did not sustain any office. There are many private members of the churches to whom all that is said of Philemon in the epistle would apply. Yet there have been various conjectures in regard to the office which he held. Hoffman supposes that he was a bishop of Coloss. Michaelis supposes that he was a deacon in the church, but of either of these there is no evidence whatever. Nothing is known of his age, his profession, or of the time and circumstances of his death. Neither is it certainly known what effect this epistle had on him, or whether he again received Onesimus under his roof. It may be presumed, however, that such a letter addressed to such a man would not fail of its objective. From Barnes' New Testament Notes Whether you believe it or not, that is the short story on who Philemon is. Noting further, there are a few things of note in Barnes' comments. First, 
It is evident from the epistle that Paul regarded him as a sincere Christian, as a man of strict integrity, as one who could be depended on to do right. Can the same be said about you? Are you a sincere Christian? Are you a person of strict integrity, as one who could be depended on to do right? The answer to these questions should be yes. Can it also be said of you that you are an active and benevolent member of the church who does not sustain any office? If attaining some form of church office is our primary concern, how many church members are suffering due to them being ignored by someone who just might be able to help them? in their difficult time. When looking for position in the church, this is one of the chief problems in today's church. People who need help cannot find it. We learn further. In regard to his rank in the Christian church, nothing whatever is known. Paul calls him his, quote, fellow laborer, end quote, but this appellation is so general that it determines nothing in regard to the manner in which he cooperated with him in promoting religion. It is a term which might be applied to any active Christian, whether a preacher, an elder, a deacon, or a private member of the church. Are you a fellow laborer? one who joins in the day-to-day -day works or tasks of the church body of which you are a part? If you are not part of a church body today, and you might have very good reason for this, what are you doing to be a fellow laborer with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Many of the answers to that question are offered by today's technologies like podcasting, which reaches out to many. Commentary also told us further, There are many private members of the church to whom all that is said of Philemon in the epistle would apply. In that regard, there is not much here. Is the same, or similar statements said of you? Are you working hard for Christ but off the radar of others? Meaning, not known to large volumes of people not seen on TV or heard on the radio? It is possible, if you are doing God's work, that high publicity is not where you have your sights aimed. Part of what this book of Philemon points out to us is the fact that one can be in the shadows of popularity and still be a hard worker for Christ, one who accomplishes great things for the kingdom of God and will be honored with the rewards found in the book of Revelation. We should note further, this letter is almost wholly of a private character, and yet there is scarcely any portion of the New Testament of equal length which is of more value. It is exquisitely beautiful and delicate. It is a model of courtesy and politeness. Let me read that comment again. It is a model 
of courtesy and politeness. It presents the character of the author in a most amiable light and shows what true religion will produce in causing genuine refinement of thought and language. It is gentle and persuasive, and yet the argument is one that we should suppose would have been, and probably was, irresistible. It is very easy to conceive that the task which the Apostle undertook to perform was one which it would be difficult to accomplish, that of reconciling an offended master to a runaway servant. And yet it is done with so much kindness, persuasiveness, gentleness, and true affection, that, as the letter was read, it is easy to imagine that all the hostility of the master was disarmed, and we can almost see him desiring to embrace him who bore it, not now as a servant, but as a Christian brother. Philemon, verse 16. It is impossible, says Doddridge, to read over this admirable epistle without being touched with the delicacy of sentiment and the masterly address that appear in every part of it. We see here, in the most striking light, how perfectly consistent true politeness is, not only with all the warmth, arid sincerity of a friend, but even with the dignity of the Christian and the Apostle. And if this letter were to be considered in no other view than as a mere human composition, it must be allowed to be a masterpiece in its kind. As a specimen of the courtesy and politeness which the Christian ought to practice at all times, as well as furnishing many valuable lessons on Christian duty. It deserves a place in the volume of inspiration, and a material chasm would be produced in the instructions which are needful for us if it were withdrawn from the sacred canon. From Barnes New Testament Notes there are a few things we need to note here that are very important to living our lives in Christ if they are to have meaning and purpose. Notice first what Barnes said of this letter by Paul to Philemon. It is exquisitely beautiful and delicate. It is a model of courtesy and politeness. It presents the character of the author in a most amiable light and shows what true religion will produce in causing genuine refinement of thought and language. Over my time as a born-again Christian, I have seen many issues in church bodies not dealt with this way, instead in far more demanding and personally harmful ways. Harming what people feel and think of God and his people who say they follow him. This clearly is never our objective when dealing with other people, 
saved or not, so that they are willing to accept God if they do not know Him, or repent to God if they do. We do this by being gentle and persuasive, and yet the argument is one that we should suppose would have been, and probably was, irresistible. It is very easy to conceive that the task which the apostle undertook to perform was one which it would be difficult to accomplish, that of reconciling an offended master to a runaway servant. And yet it is done with so much kindness, persuasiveness, gentleness, and true affection that, as the letter was read, it is very easy to imagine that all the hostility of the master was disarmed, and we can almost see him desiring to embrace him who bore it, not now as a servant, but as a Christian brother or sister, as the case may be today. Remember, in these days, life also was in a very male-dominant society, unlike today. However, many people can say they were turned away from error by another person in Christ who was gentle and persuasive, with an irresistible argument. How many people can say they were turned away from error by another person in Christ who was gentle and persuasive with an irresistible argument? Unfortunately, I can tell you, here in America, it has been way too infrequent based on my personal experience. Is the reason it is so infrequent in my world stated here? that the task which the apostle undertook to perform was one which it would be difficult to accomplish? Today, we can see it as the reconciling of an offender to the one they offended. We are told that it can be done. How is it done? It is done with so much kindness, persuasiveness, gentleness, and true affection. In order to do that, what was done here by Paul requires these four attributes in us. Kindness, persuasiveness, gentleness, and true affection are these four attributes we all need in order to correct, as Paul did with Philemon. With those four polished attributes, could you disarm all hostility in another? We see here, in the most striking light, how perfectly consistent true politeness is, not only with all the warmth and sincerity of a friend, but even with the dignity of the Christian and the apostle. This is a specimen of the courtesy and politeness which the Christian ought to practice at all times, as well as furnishing many valuable lessons on Christian duty.
next week. We will continue our examination in Philemon. Like Titus, it is a short single chapter, 25 verses long. Given its length and what we can learn from Philemon, this will be a four-part examination. Join us next week for our next episode titled, The Book of Philemon, Part 2. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.